This is Scott Richmond. And Arnie Sherman. You're listening to What Do You Know on News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. All right, Arnie Sherman, good Sunday morning to you. It's good to be back in uh, in Missoula. I, I got in uh, a c- couple of days ago from uh, New York City, the last stop on my uh, on my journey, and it was great being in New York. And apropos of our conversation today about uh, Pride Month, New York is already in full swing on Pride Month, and I had a chance to see uh, Some Like It Hot which oh, is the right. Broadway show musical version nominated for 13 Tony Awards, which is a huge amount of Tony Awards, based on the 1959 Billy Wilder film, Some Like It Hot, with Tony Curtis and, and Jack Lemmon and Marilyn Monroe, which was controversial in its day because the two leads, Tony Curtis and, and uh, Jack Lemmon, as trying to escape from the mob, dressed like women and joined an all-women's band. And there was... Many groups who uh, boycotted that movie. And the show, interestingly enough, the, in the movie, the Jack Lemmon role, you know, sort of got his character, right. Daphne, sort of got courted by a wealthy guy. And, there was, and it was kept very PG. This version is, uh, in this one, Daphne is played by an Afro-American man, embraces his new role and the new sexuality with it. And the audience was, you know, very... LGBTQI skewed, and we're just roaring and cheering. And so it's a complete change, you know, in movement. And it was an interesting thing for me to observe as we're moving into this discussion today. Which is great. I mean, we've made progress certainly over the last 60 something years since that movie was released. But boy, as we kind of think about it and think about what's going on in society today, I feel like people are trying to stuff us back into the dark ages. Well, sure. It's become it's become a wedge issue for people like Ron DeSantis in Florida and others, um, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene and others. I think it's just it's just a mask over the fact that if they didn't have that to talk about, they'd have to stand on their record and their record is woefully deficient. Correct. They don't have a plan. All they want to talk about is abortion and drag. And, you know, and, uh, you know, um, grooming children and all this stuff, which is, you know, in. It isn't any kind of significant thing. It's a very small, you know, incident going on, not the abortion issue, the other stuff. The abortion issue we've been fighting, you know, a long time about women, you know, women's rights and women's choices and all of that sort of thing. And they just want to just keep focusing on that because it feeds raw meat to their base. To their base. And it's almost a benefit to them that they keep their base poorly educated and filled with fiction versus facts. Well, because then you don't, I mean, you ask, what's Ron DeSantis' economic plan? I guess it's to keep Disney, you know, throw Disney out of Florida and lose 20 million jobs or whatever the hell is tied into that. Right. You know, what are what are all these other people yelling and screaming, you know, that, that these people are mentally ill and all? What what are their, what, what's their position on all the other important issues that face our society and our country? A minimum wage, you know, on affordable housing and all. Real issues. They don't want to talk about any of that because they don't have a program. Right. So, and so you, this has become a, the you know, and plus there's many many media outlets like the raw meat approach to you know to stuff. I mean, we certainly have a number of people on our radio station to talk about this in their talk shows. You know, it gets it gets their base energized and riled up. 
It's so weird. As it always has. It always has. It's hard not to talk about Missoula Pride or Pride in general without it talk without talking about politics and the divisive nature of different groups and how, to your point, they use these issues or these ideas as wedge issues to to again obfuscate you know from what really is important, which is the things that they don't you know uh, you know other social, political, economic kind of ideas that they have nothing to speak to. But moreover, it's 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 interesting to think about pride because you were just in New York. I grew up there. I remember being at a pride parade in the late in the mid to late seventies. You know, my parents yeah. who were who were blazing liberals, right, uh, taking us into New York to see a play, see some music, and then spend some time, you know, just watching the parade and being introduced at well, an, we grew an, up an early in an age. Where right. New York, both of us, that since our childhood, people were free to express themselves in a multicultural environment. You saw many people dressing in many different ways. You saw people expressing themselves much more freely than than if you were going to Cleveland, Ohio in 1970 right. or 1980 or whatever. And so we were more used to that, you know, melting pot kind of, you know, living arrangement that, and, you know, community. And it continues to evolve and it feels good actually to be there because it's very diverse and it's very energizing. And to, to hear these, um, you know, elected officials or people running for office pontificate on these issues without any kind of real training or education. It's not their area of expertise. You know, it's just, it's just demoralizing because it, again, it continues to drive wedges and it keeps from, keeps us from focusing on the more important issues that confront our society. Right. There's many, many more important issues than whether people should, could use the bathroom of their gen of their choice. Right. You know, so. Right. It's, it's, it's uh, ridiculous. Well, look, our, we're going to be joined on today's show with by Devin Carpenter. He's one of the co-organizers and the co-directors of the Missoula Pride, which kicks off, you know, it started already, but really comes, it goes into full swing the 15th, Thursday, the 15th through the, through that whole weekend. Um, yes. And he's going to talk a lot about the different events and the education and things like that. But I'm looking forward to the guest. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having that conversation and see what we're doing and and how we're, you know, not only celebrating, but also educating. Absolutely. Back after these words, our guest will be Devin Carpenter. Back after this. Arnie, we are back with our guest, Devin Carpenter. Devin, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. It's It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. So you're here to talk about Pride Month, Missoula Pride. Yes. And so can you tell us a little bit about how you've gotten involved with it and what are the array of activities that are going on here in Missoula for uh, Pride Month? Yeah, of course. So um, just to give a little background on myself, um, I um, kind of got involved through sort of my involvement in sort of activism and just the Missoula kind of music scene. Um, I uh, was pretty involved as an undergraduate student at the University of Montana planning kind of uh, some civil disobedience activities. I was doing training workshops and kind of educational things. Um, And so my name was kind of out there as in those spaces. 
Um, and then also I was involved a lot with sort of entertainment in Missoula and sort of helping put on concerts and different things like that. And so my name was also kind of out there in that arena. And in 2015, <clears throat> back when Montana Pride was was still known as Big Sky Pride, um, they were and they were still rotating between cities every couple of years. Um, Missoula happened to come up as as the host city for Big Sky Pride, the statewide celebration. And my my friend Logan Foray, who is also he's the other co-director now for Missoula Pride at the time, he reached out to me and said, hey, I got invited to this meeting about Big Sky Pride. It's coming to Missoula. Let's go and, and see if we can get involved. And so he and I ended up planning all of the entertainment aspects of Big Sky Pride. And at the time, that was the largest pride that Montana had ever had. Um, we shut down the street, had a big old block party. Um, and so uh, when Big Sky Pride stopped rotating cities over the years, um, other kind of communities in Montana really wanted to start um, hosting their own pride celebration since Montana Pride, then Big Sky Pride was going to remain in Helena. And so Andy Nelson and David Herrera, who I had known through those uh, previous experiences, sort of reached out to Logan and I and asked us to come on board as um, essentially co-directors of Missoula Pride. And so last year was the inaugural year of the Missoula Pride as it is now. And we're really excited to be kind of going uh, headfirst into year two, even bigger and better than it was last year. And so we're really excited for um, a host of kind of uh, central events to the weekend. There's actually over 50 things that we have planned, um, some that have already started at, at the beginning of the month, and uh, many of which are kind of that central weekend of June 16th through the 18th. And so to highlight a couple of the big things, um, we're starting off that, that weekend with uh, Tell Us Something, which is another local nonprofit, a storytelling event. They'll actually be hosted at the, the Paddleheads uh, Ballpark at Ogren Park. Um, there is also kind of the quintessential parade and block party happening on Saturday, as well as a whole host of other kind of parties and events happening that evening. And then Sunday, we round things out with a drag brunch that we're actually hosting on the University of Montana campus, as well as our roller disco to kind of end the weekend. Interspersed, there's educational and sessions what, and from Devin, other local in, nonprofits and organizations. Sorry, just interrupt. Just interrupt. Art you. workshops. Can you hear me? What What are the dates? Because uh, this is going to start airing on Sunday, this coming Sundays. Yep. So the dates are June 16th through the 18th. Perfect. Keep going. Yep. Um, yeah, so interspersed between kind of those big pieces are educational workshops. There's um, There was the Queer West Film Fest that already happened. There are um, <clears throat> other self-defense workshops, community health panels, a dance class, um, all kinds of things. And so the best place to find this information is going to be our website, missoula-pride.com. And what are you expecting attendance to be like for... Yeah, so we are, um, as far as kind of the main day on Saturday, the June 17th with the block party and parade, we're expecting probably over 15,000 people to show up, which would be a slight increase from what we saw last year. That's incredible. And are they all from Montana or the region? So uh, a lot of the people are from Montana, but the the reach definitely is throughout the region. I think given Montana's uh, spotlight, if you will, in the national media recently um, for some not so great things, um, there has been actually quite a bit of outreach from folks across the country reaching out to the center, the Western Montana LGBT Community Center, 
um, voicing their support. And we've also gotten contacted from several groups who are now kind of making pride trips through the whole kind of center part of the United States um, because they want to give some support to some of these smaller, more rural prides. And I think one of the goals that we have for Missoula Pride is to be a destination for folks to come see that, you know, we have just as vibrant of a community here as you might find in other places. Devin, I want to get back to the issue of why Montana has been in the spotlight lately Mm -hmm. in a minute. But for our listeners and for those that are curious, I'd like to talk a little bit about the genesis of the Pride Month, which which began 53 years ago as a Pride Parade, mm-hmm. which was a commemoration of the Stonewall riots or uprising or rebellion, depending on how you uh, want to phrase it. Would, would you talk a little bit about that? I know I know a little bit about it as well. So if, if you want to uh, talk about what initiated this, and then maybe I can add some New York colors since I was, uh, you know, I'm the oldest of the three of us and I was around during the time that that happened. And so I have some more uh, contemporaneous input of, about uh, that event and, and what it meant to the uh, the LGBTQI movement. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you bringing that up because we need to always sort of center what we're doing around that history um, until which point you know, everyone's living fine and dandy in all aspects of their life, but I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. So um, as far as kind of my understanding and and the things that I've learned through my own research over the years, you know, uh, there was sort of this culture of police raiding uh, known gay um, and queer hangouts in New York City, as well as lots of other places around the country. Um, and it's because it, it was still illegal to be homosexual and to identify in that way or even to, to dress um, or present as a trans person um, at those times. And so the police would raid these places and sort of they would there was violence. They would put people in jail. Uh, all kinds of really horrible things were happening. And so uh, on the series of nights at the Stonewall Inn, um, which I've had the, the joy to visit in my time um, and there on Christopher Street, um, and I think that, you know, there there was uh, just uh, uh, everything sort of boiled up and people were not having it anymore. And so essentially led largely by trans women of color um, that really decided to sort of fight back. And so they occupied that street um, and some some protests happened and broke out over a series of many nights after that. And um, this uh, Pride Month essentially became a commemoration of that every year and a reminder that Pride is still a protest. Our existence as queer people is still very much a protest. And those trans women of color are still the most sort of marginalized within our community. And that still is true today. Um, and that needs to always be something that we remember through what we're doing here. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about that, Scott and, and Devin, you know, that time of the development of the movement was, you know, through the 50s and 60s, um, homosexual behavior was was banned in 49 states. I mean, it was against the law. And uh, these clubs, the gay, lesbian, homosexual clubs, you know, sprouted out. And up in New York and in California, but in New York more started during the prohibition, actually, some of them came to being because it was illegal to drink. It was illegal to be a homosexual. It was illegal to do drugs and all that kind of stuff was going on 
below the surface. But in the 60s, there was only one dance club in New York City, which was the Stonewall Inn, which was owned by the Genovese crime family, believe it or not. <laughs> Two of the crime family members started this, this bar with $3,500. And they had multiple reasons for doing it. Not only, they weren't doing necessarily to give, you know, gay people a place to dance. They were do, doing it because they could overcharge them and make more money. It was, a stri- it was, it was strictly business, you know. Mm-hmm. As yeah, the Corleones would commerce. say, strictly <laughs> business. They charged them more for watered-down drinks. They were actually extorting patrons when they found patrons who came into the dance club who maybe had some high standing in New York society or political world. The crime family would keep a track of it and an eye on it and, and begin to extort them. Mm. And uh, you know, as Devin mentioned, on June twenty eighth, nineteen sixty nine, the police decided to raid the place, which was uncharacteristic because they were paying the police off. You know, every week the police came by and got payments and uh, they had these strobe lights inside the club and they would flash on and off for dancing. But if the club ever got raided, they would turn all the lights on and everybody would know what that meant. So they would all line up against the bar and not be dancing and try to, you know, uh, present a more uh, dispassionate, you know, way of uh, of viewing themselves. But anyway, as, as Devin mentioned that night, you know, the police took over, you know, kind of took over, started arresting people. The, the uh, group wouldn't have any of it. People filtered out from other bars. Some musicians like David Von Ronk was in a bar, came over and started participating. The police felt so overwhelmed that they went inside the Stonewall Inn and uh, Stonewall Bar and locked themselves in. And then they set it on. Fortunately for, you know, nobody's life was lost that night. But fortunately, the police were able to get out when more police came there. And uh, again, as Devin mentioned, for the next two, three, four nights, crowds got bigger and bigger and more bold about trying to represent, you know, their desires and demands to not be treated as, you know, second, third or fourth class citizens. So it had a very historic, you know, role in the movement. And I think in 2016, President Obama made it the first uh, you know, gay national monument. I mean, there was a plaque there and it's become a national monument. So it's an interesting genesis of how Pride March and Pride Month came from that one seminal event that took place in uh, on Christopher Street in Greenwich Village 53 years ago. And Arnie, yeah. it's, it's amazing that the co- controversy or perceived controversy or what is controversy still exists today, but from that comes more opportunity to further the call well, to further. Well, the I think, I think I'm going to ask David, uh, you know, Devin, excuse me to speak to this. I mean, it is estimated that the, you know, LGBTQI population in the United States exceeds 30 million people. It's not like it's a small number of, of human beings and to be, you know, treated differently to be castigated often to be, you know, part of this whole, conservative, you know, woke movement. I mean, attacking Target, you know, you know, uh, box stores because they have, you know, pride, um, pride merchandise. I mean, all this kind of stuff is just outrageous at this point in time. Um, You know, at the same time, you know, the Republicans struggle with it. They have their log cabin, you know, movement and they have, you know, members of of their party who are gay, who, you know, but it still becomes a lightning rod for all sorts of, uh, you know, crazy you know, uh, 
um, dialogue right. from uh, you know from American leaders that get you know that get front page stories, and it's happened here in Montana. So, Devin, you want to you want to follow up on this? Yeah, I mean, I saw recently. Um, I think it was actually the human rights campaign's response to Target. Um, they mentioned, and I'm not sure what the poll was or where the statistic is from, but that 20 percent of Gen Z identifies somewhere on the queer spectrum. Yeah, it's much more concentrated in that generation. It is a huge, and I think it's because, you know, our youth are, are, they're not willing to settle for the same constructs that the rest of us have been or who that we have been fighting against. And so I think one of the things that we've really tried to focus on with Missoula Pride, you know, when Andy and David originally approached me and Logan, I had two stipulations before I signed on, and they were that I wanted everything to be free. And I wanted everything to be open to all ages. And while we haven't met that at 100%, almost every single thing that we're doing is free and open to people of all ages, because it is our youth that are most important, um, or one of the most important groups here. Talk um, a little more about that. Why? You know, I think this really just, it. I, I was really struck when I went to Montana Pride in Helena um, the year before we uh, started Missoula Pride at just how many kids I saw there. And I'm talking like middle school age was really mm-hmm. the ones that stuck out to me. These kids who are 12, 13, 14 years old, who are running around with all kinds of different, not just the standard pride flag, but all kinds of different identity flags on there as capes. And I'm seeing them with their straight friends who were there and they're with their parents who were there. And Like that just didn't exist even, I'm not that old, you know, I'm in my early thirties. And even when I was in high school or middle school, like that was not an open sort of thing that um, we talked about. And so to see that happening in just sort of a matter of the 15 years I've been, you know, out as a queer person, I think it really struck me. Um, And it, it gives me hope because that is a clear signal that, that things are changing Um, I mean, even I was tabling at um, downtown tonight, the other like just last week, and there was this kid that was probably 10 or 11 years old. And they were digging through our little basket of identity pins for one that meant non-binary. I'm like, that word didn't even exist when I was 11 years old, you know, or at least not in any sort of big way that many people were aware of. And so I think that by focusing on our youth, it allows us to sort of put aside a lot of the really old ideals that lots of people have because they are fading away, whether you like it or not, this next generation of of folks is not going to sort of allow those same sort of boxes to determine the way that they exist in the world. No, I mean, and it's a, it's a major transformation for certain people, you know, in the fifties and sixties, the FBI kept records of people that were, they thought were homosexual and, and uh, the places they visited and who their friends were. The Postal Service, you know, kept track of addresses with any kind of material related to homosexuality. In the 50s, the American Association considered homosexuality a mental disorder. I mean, and that's, you know, that's 70, 80 years ago, but that's in, in some people's current lifetime, you know, when that that was the status quo. And it was, you know, it was against the law in 49 or 50 states. We've come a long way. And I hate to see the progress stunted by what's happening now. This whole anti-woke movement has, you know, sucked in, has created this vacuum, uh, you know, yeah. sucking in everybody into it that they disagree with and that, they, you know, that are not 
white Christian Americans. And that's mm-hmm. not the only kind of American that exists, as we all know. You just mentioned an important fact. 20% of, of Gen Z's identify themselves as, you know, either, you know, gender fluid or, you know, somewhere that, that is clearly part of this movement. And most of the people in the Gen in the Gen Z movement don't care what your sexual orientation is. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. You know, but it's become a, a, a divisive issue or a rallying cry for, you know, folks in, you know, and it, and it bleeds over to things like abortion and women's rights. I mean, it all gets blended together in trying to keep groups of people under control that don't think like, you know, a group that thinks that they are in the, the silent majority or are, are the majority. Yeah. And I think the thing that I've appreciated that I keep being reminded when we're talking about these stories, and I don't want to give much time to the the counter protesters that have been showing up to some of these things or the actual Nazis and white supremacists who've been attending these events, um, because they don't deserve much time. But and I think what's important to remember is that while they might be loud, they are very much in the minority and they are a small right. group of people. Right that happen to have the attention of, of national news right now. But if we really boil down to it and 40 of them show up to Missoula pride, they will be wholly outnumbered by the 15,000 other people there who were right. There's just us. no room so, for that. Well, I'm not I'm more, I'm more, inter- Devin, I'm more <laughs> interested to hear your comment. I agree with you hundred percent on that about what happened to our state legislator, Zoe, right? What, what, what the majority of elected officials in this state did. Yeah, I think that, that, yeah, I think that it was, a lot of us are still processing it because <laughs> it was just so far out of like the, how a democratic process should work. And the fact that someone who was democratically elected by 11,000 constituents in this state, um, who was not able to speak and it was given unprecedented censures. It just, it's hard to comprehend, I think, for a lot of us. And it's impossible to not think about in the context of who this person is as a trans woman, the first trans woman to be at least out and, and elected to this kind of role. And so I, it is, it has brought a lot of attention to Montana. And while the the root of that might be from a really terrible um, verging on the potentially illegal situation. I think that, um, you know, Zoe has been able to really be an amazing voice for our state and to be able to show up on things like The View and on CNN and be able to talk to people across the country right. about what happened here in Montana. I mean, before I moved to Montana, my family moved here because of the military. Um, I had never really thought about Montana. It's I knew it existed, but it was just not something that I thought about or really paid attention to. And I have a feeling there's probably a lot of people across the country that have just never really thought of Montana. And so um, or they have really unfortunate sort of negative views of of Montana. And so having Zoe have this platform, you know, however unfortunate the situation that that led to this, it has really given um, a positive opportunity to showcase all of the amazing work and the amazing queer joy that does exist here in the state of Montana. How do you, Devin, in your role as a co-director of Pride, your focus is really on creating a program or a series of events and programs that really is inclusive, right? And inviting people mm-hmm. from everywhere to be, participate. Talk about how you developed that program and what, what's the kind of the strategy that went into the different events. 
Yeah, and I think this is something that we're still learning and that we've certainly made missteps on. I'd like to just acknowledge that at the top, that there's still lots more groups of people that we can be doing better at at talking to. Um, And so the way that we've approached this, um, at least so far, has really been trying to leverage the wide range of community organizations that already exist and are doing great work here in Missoula and in Montana. And so we initially sat down, um, you know, thinking about last year when we were doing this the first time, um, is, you know, we sat down and just tried to think about who are the groups of people in this state. We know that we need to, you know, make sure that trans people are included. We need to make sure that the two-spirit and indigenous community is included. We need to make sure that young people as well as older folks are included in these conversations because they all are going to be looking for different things. Um, And so really trying to think about across the board, how can we create as many spaces that are welcoming to all of those people, but then also how can we create spaces that are for specific subsets of those populations? Because there is a fine line to balance between, you know, creating safe and sort of closed off spaces where people can just be among other people who are just like them and not have to try and code switch or 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 change the way that they're acting while also we have you know at at the center of our values is inclusion and that also includes our allies and so can allies be in all spaces or are there some spaces where we don't want allies to be and and that's a really complicated thing to navigate so we've relied on we um we have a monthly community partner meetings where folks from probably about 20 or 30 community organizations are invited. And that includes everything from kind of other queer organizations like Transvisible Montana, Empower Montana, um, the Montana Family Center, um, or things like the public library and the university and the health department and other kinds of pockets of and public things. And so through those, we are hopeful that the word is getting out. But I think that what we've realized this year is that there are some pockets of other sort of queer community organizations that are not necessarily formally established in that way that maybe we aren't reaching as well because we're not advertising through Instagram necessarily for these meetings. We're reaching out to kind of formal community email chains and things. And so I think we've got some learning and growing to do to kind of get down to that grassroots level in a different way. Um, And again, this is all because, you know, the landscape is different from when I was doing this work. I mean, Instagram barely existed when I was in college. And so I think, (laughs) um, you know, again, we have always had an open door policy, um, but I don't know that that's always been as clearly communicated as it could have been. And so I think that we just need to keep keep bringing more people into the fold, keep listening and keep adapting as we move forward. You know, the parade is great and cool. Everybody loves the parade. You know, you can demonstrate your individuality. It's always fun. But I think the real purpose for, you know, Pride Month is the educational piece. You know, you talked about being, a, you know, community organizer. I, I shared a building for no, for five years with the uh, with Saul Linsky's group. And so I know a lot about community organizing. And, you know, when, when you're confronted with a small, even if they're smaller in a minority, but they get a lot of visibility, an enemy that talks about grooming children, all that. I just want to go on the attack. I want to say that's, you know, that's crazy. This yep. is not what's going on. This is not a, this is not a, just an arbitrary choice by people. This is a hard, tough thing there. You know, it's mostly geared towards children, you know, people under the age of 18 and trying to 
you know, interfere in their lives and their families' lives. I think this provides a unique opportunity to continue to educate the broader group beyond, you know, the the queer members who are, are enjoying themselves. This is a great opportunity when the media is focused on this to talk about and provide truth at a time when, you know, the opposition likes to just muck it up and muddy it all up. Yep. Yeah. So to rattle through a couple of the highlights for some of those educational pieces, you know, while yes, you know, Missoula Pride at, at the bottom line is ultimately a fundraiser for the Western Montana Community Center. And so that's why there's a lot of focus on some of the the parties and the things. Sure. That's where we're going to be able to generate revenue for the center to do their educational work and their outreach and their health service throughout the whole year. But we do want to make sure that that still maintains um, a, a, a definitely a strong presence during the actual weekend of Missoula Pride. And so starting on Friday, there is um, a panel or a, a, a training on how to be a good ally. That's going to be hosted by Ann Harris with the Montana Family Center. There's also the U.S. Attorney's Office actually reached out to us and is partnering with the law school on campus and is hosting a sort of panel discussion on what free speech looks like, what a hate crime is versus an incident, all those kinds of things, which would be really good for people to understand how best to kind of, if you see something happen, how can you collect the right information to report what you think might be a hate crime and those sorts of things. Um, on Saturday, uh, Transvisible Montana is hosting um, a uh, a session on the genderverse and kind of all the different genders that exist and, and are continuing to evolve. Their youth organizers also hosting a space specifically for trans, non-binary, and two-spirit youth to come together and just hang out and talk. The Missoula Public Library is hosting a session uh, with a bunch of local business owners to talk about how to be a queer supportive business um, and what happens if you stumble or something happens and how can you react as a business. Um, There's also a session related to people who are incarcerated um, and what the queer experience is like. Um, On Sunday, we're hosting a whole bunch of things at the ZAC, the Zootown Arts Community Center. We're bringing in an author um, of a book called Boy Slut um, to talk about that. And then he's also going to host a community health panel with a bunch of both local and national experts um, in public health. There will be a dance workshop. There's a self-defense workshop happening, um, which is with a local um, mixed martial arts uh, space here in town. And so I think while, yes, there's tons of fun things to do, tons of parties, we want to have a lot of fun. It is important to also learn a little bit over the weekend. The education. Um, There's going to be also voter registration. Yeah. Yes, Forward Montana will be around. They're actually hosting an all-ages dance party on Friday night, as well as a zine release, the next edition of their Transcendent Joy magazine. Um, And uh, there will be opportunities for immunizations as well as testing happening at the block party from the city county health department. Um, And so really trying to couple that informational outreach with the fun things that are happening in town. And yeah, let's do a quick ID. Our guest is Devin Carpenter. He is one of the co-directors of this year's Missoula Pride. So the, the statewide organization is called Montana Pride, um, and that is the organization that has existed for many, many, many years. It has gone by other names. Um, I believe it was originally the Montana Pride Foundation. It was then Big Sky Pride, and it's now Montana Pride, and so it's sort of ebbed and, and changed over the years. 
And that's the group that used to rotate through cities. And my I understanding, see. I don't quote, or I mean, I'm on, on air, I guess, but <laughs> um, I, I have not corroborated this information. But what I understand through kind of just what I've learned over the years is that the original idea was that the state is so big and many of our communities are so rural that it was important to share the resources and the pride around our state. And so they would bring it to other communities and be able to bring some of that um, fun and celebration and, and resources to those places. But then over the years, they realized that you're kind of starting over every couple of years when you're moving every right. place. And it, it doesn't allow you to really build sort of a strong, strong foundation relationships, those kinds of things. And so that's my understanding of why the decision was made for it to now stay in Helena. So the statewide official celebration is always in Helena, and they usually do it towards the end of July. Um, and so in last year, we officially established Missoula Pride as its own separate event that is a benefit, a fundraiser for the Western Montana LGBT Community Center, which is here in Missoula, uh, located on the 100 block of Higgins downtown. I think we're all, Arnie, we're definitely a little biased in thinking and knowing that Missoula is the prettiest of all locations in Montana. <laughs> for an event like this. So we'll take it. We're one of the sponsors. Town Square is a sponsor of Pride. Yes. And this is our second year. And I am curious, other than ourselves, who else are big sponsors for Pride, Missoula Pride? Yeah, that's a great question. We would not be able to do any of this without the support of our community. And I am, we all have just been blown away that there's um, over 40 sort of business sponsors, as well as a whole host of individual people um, who have sponsored us through Instagram and through Facebook and all kinds of other places. And so our title sponsor is Zen Medicine and Fidelity Diagnostics, um, and they're, they're a local cannabis company. Um, and then we have uh, the Montana Two-Spirit Society, Destination Missoula. We have Two Fat Guys Spirits, which is a company based out of Bozeman, actually. Um, and uh, we have, um, let's see, I'm going to have to pull up my list here, but we have so many other things um, If <clears throat> who are sponsoring us. Well, this is great because the community is getting uh, supportive and then fundraising. What is the address or email or website that people can go to, to contribute? Absolutely. So all of our information, all the most up-to-date information about who our sponsors are, opportunities to get involved, all of our events um, is going to be at missoula-pride.com. And in the top right-hand corner of that, you'll see a donate button, and that'll go straight to, through to the center um, as a donation to support Missoula Pride. Um, they are also located at 127 North Higgins um, in Suite 202. You'll go right up the stairs when you walk in the entryway there, and they're up there. Um, and they're open from 10 to 5 most days, Monday through Friday, and would love for you to stop by. And as I briefly mentioned earlier, they do work all year long, all over the place in all kinds of ways. They have sort of conversation and support groups and potluck groups, outdoor communities. They provide all kinds of health screening and resources and connections to other community resources. They have a closet that's open. You can come in and, and grab clothes anytime you might need them um, and all kinds of wonderful things that they do all year round. And so Thanks to our sponsors and to what we're able to accomplish during this weekend, it contributes a significant amount of funds for them to operate for the rest of the year. 
You mentioned uh, Bozeman, you know, briefly. Does Bozeman, Billings, who else has a parade and an event like this? Okay, I'm going to, hopefully I don't miss any. There's a bunch. So Bozeman um, had a, a pride already. Um, and you may have seen some of the news about the things that happened, the unfortunate things that happened there. And so we actually met with one of the organizers to help learn from what happened there so that we can avoid those things here in Missoula. What happened? Yeah, so um, there were about uh, 40 white supremacists um, and Nazi protesters who showed up, the same folks who were at the Trans Day of Visibility uh, demonstration here in Missoula. Um, and things ultimately led to violence, um, where some some of our queer family were pepper sprayed by these protesters. Um, there were people who were hit and different things like that. And so it, it was a really, really bad situation for a lot of folks. Um, and so uh, at the end of the day, um, they still were able to have their events and the community really came together to protect one another um, and to kind of... Uh, Sort of try and you know block these folks from disrupting what was happening, and so we're hopeful with our uh, the many plans that we've put in place um, to have volunteers in place to prevent these things from happening that we'll be able to avoid any serious things happening here in Missoula. Good, well, hopefully, absolutely. How about? Um... Billings and some of the other larger cities. Yeah, so I don't know off the top of my head all of the formal names, but I know that Livingston and Billings and Kalispell and Great Falls and Helena, of course, um, all have things. I'm sure I missed one because there's a lot of, oh, there was something that just happened in Red Lodge. Um, and so there are a ton of really amazing groups out there all across the state of Montana things to their communities, um, however large or small they might be. And I know that the drag community in this state is extremely involved in a lot of those things. And um, the uh, various groups um, have made it their priority to really be able to go and support those smaller prides that are just getting started. Um, And so that has been really neat to see these kinds of things. And we actually got together, we being a lot of these organizers, got together last summer and set our dates for the year so that they actually spread out as much as possible because Pride doesn't need to just be in June. And so um, that's why things were happening in May and you'll see things that are happening in July and in August. Mm. Um, and it allows not only the drag community to be able to kind of get get around everywhere, but it also allows, um, you know, so that we're not stepping on anyone's toes and everyone, you know, is able to kind of ha- maximize the success of their weekend as much as possible. Sure. Are there other you had conversations? Sorry, okay. please, Arnie. You had conversations with the police department about this and how how's their cooperation been? Yeah. So um, the police are a very complicated subject um, and we are very aware of the many opinions that people have about the police and the very real things that the police have done to our community and to people of color. I mean, look at what happened in at LA Pride just a couple of days ago with um, mm-hmm. some of the, the queer participants being pinned on the ground and arrested for what I'm 
hearing from their reports, not only just saying something to the police officers. And so, um, you know, last year we actually uh, requested that the police not be there. Um, and we communicated that to them and they respected those wishes. They asked to participate in the parade and we said that we would rather they didn't. Um, and that certainly didn't sit well with them. They felt a little bit slighted by that, um, especially because the fire department was participating and the fire department and the police department are pals. And, you know, they, they really wanted their pals to be in the parade with them. And so, but they did respect our wishes um, and, and did not participate. Um, this year that we had those conversations again, I mean, we've been talking about safety since November um, and then all kinds of things have transpired since then. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it turns out that we um, actually are required per our street use permit from the city because of the anticipated size of the event to have five police uniformed on duty police officers present um, at the block party. Uh, we've also made the decision to hire private security through North Star Security at any event where drag will be performed. Um, and so that's everything from the Tell Us Something event to several of our after parties to the parade itself to brunch to all those sorts of things just to sort of give an added layer of security. And again, I want to acknowledge that there are going to be people who are not happy about that um, because they they don't want uniformed security or they don't want uniformed police on site. Um, I think, unfortunately, in this situation, we didn't really have a choice. Uh, but also, I would like to just say that the after many conversations and many discussions, we do feel it is in the best interest of these events to have this security in place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I'll speaking for myself only am uh, resting a little easier knowing that there will be people right there if something were to happen. Um, <clears throat> we will have the cell phone numbers of all the on-duty police officers. We've been working directly through Detective Smith, who is the LGBT liaison for the Missoula Police Department, and he, from my experiences working with him, has been really awesome. Um, I'm sure that there are always going to be missteps here and there, but in my personal experience, he has been really responsive um, and really respectful of what we want to do, Um, Mm -hmm. and I I appreciate that. Um, You know, there have been some uh, comments on various Facebook posts that sort of bubbles the level of possible threats, and we send those to him directly and he investigates them. And that is a, a pipeline that I feel confident having, um, that there's someone who I know who I can email directly is going to look into this and is going to follow up with me and what the result of that is. Um, yeah. So uh, while, again, there may be things that are not great with the police, and and there certainly are, um, I I feel strongly that we have a good relationship, at least with, with the folks here in Missoula. And Devin, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about Missoula pride and the events that are happening this coming weekend here in town. Back after this. Arnie, we are back with our guest, Devin Carpenter. Devin. So I know that some of these events are ticketed. Are there still tickets available? And if there are for what events? Yes, absolutely. I mentioned most of our events are free and open to everyone, but we do have a few that are ticketed. And so the Tell Us Something event at the baseball stadium on Friday, June 16th, uh, tickets are still available. You can find those either through the Tell Us Something website or through our Missoula Pride website. Uh, Same thing with Drag Brunch on Sunday. We have a limited number of tickets available 
um, and they'll get you a seat at brunch, the performance from the ISCSM, the Imperial Sovereign Court of the state of Montana. We will also have a full breakfast and brunch buffet, as well as um, a full bar uh, that will be uh, for cash uh, uh, purchases. But yes, tickets are available for those two events. A couple other things before the weekend there on the Thursday night, our revival comedy happening at the Zootown Arts Community Center, as well as the fifth annual Paddleheads Pride Night. Uh, both of those events are supporting Missoula Pride. Um, so, yeah, get your tickets before they run out. And it's airs on Sunday, the 18th. What time does that brunch start and where's the location again? Absolutely. So our drag brunch is going to be hosted at the University of Montana in the University Center up on the third floor in the ballroom and doors open at 11. Show runs from 12 until 2. Which is great. And how much are those tickets? Tickets are $45, I think. I can pull it up really quick. That's okay. So then, so, so several ticketed events starting on that Thursday, yes. uh, the 15th. I'm sorry. Yeah, the 15th. And running all the way through Sunday, the, the 18th, expected 15,000 people coming from Montana and the region to Missoula Pride. Wow. In two years' time, you guys have really built an incredible uh, event and event program. Yes, we're really excited. And yeah, just to reiterate, the tickets for the Drag Brunch are on sale and they are $45. Gets you a breakfast and a show. Nice. And where, what's the website address again if people want to learn more and also make a donation? Yep. To learn more, make a donation, see all of our event details and ticket links. Everything's going to be at Missoula-Pride.com. Missoula-Pride.com. Fantastic. Our guest was Devin Carpenter, one of the co-directors of this year's Missoula Pride. Really appreciate you coming on, Devin, and would love to have you back for next year as well. Yeah, thank you so much. I would love to come back anytime. Devin, it's been a pleasure. Yes. Scott, we'll see you next week. Okay, see you next week, Arnie. Thank you for listening to What Do You Know? I can't wait for the next show, Scott. I'm excited too, Arnie. If you'd like to suggest a guest, send me an email at scottrichman at townsquaremedia.com. We'll see you next week. And thanks for listening to News Talk KGVO. 